ask you to return, please, in your Bibles, if you turn them away, to John chapter 1 this morning. Today we're starting a little mini-series in anticipation of Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to take a break from our study in Romans and return, God willing, right after Easter to chapter 7 of Romans. We're going to entitle this mini-series, Glimpses of Christ. So John chapter 1 been said of this great gospel that it is shallow enough for a child to wade into it, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in it. John's gospel is indeed that. And this morning, I want us to kick off this series with just considering actually one verse. I know that I had been so anticipating covering three, but we're just going to cover one before we celebrate Lord's table. And it's just the first verse of this prologue. It's important for us to understand that the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about God, the more we know about the Holy Spirit, the more we worship him. And we should never pit doctrine versus affection. We shouldn't separate what has been titled orthodoxy from doxology, or head and heart. And in other words, what we find through the scriptures is it's not just about loving Jesus and feeling like we love Jesus, that actually knowing about Jesus and knowing the truth about Jesus leads us to worship. And John opens up this prologue in a simple fashion that even a child can wade into it but an elephant can swim into it. Let's read this verse together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're going to notice there are three clauses there, okay? Not a big English lesson today, but a little bit. And so today I want us to put our thinking caps on. I hope that's always true, but especially today. Throughout the history of the church, Church leaders have realized that Christology, or the study of the person and work of Christ, is key. It's of great importance to the church. In fact, almost all of the early heresies surrounded the person and work of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the Trinity, the relationship of Christ as God to the Father. Early on, there was a false teaching called Gnosticism that really denied the humanity of Jesus Christ, saying that everything that was material, like a body, was dirty and sinful, and that which was spiritual was actually good. That was responded to by church leaders with a creed. They wrote a creed called the Apostles' Creed. We've said it together before, and you'll notice in the Apostles' Creed, there's many references to the actual historical accounts of Jesus about his being before Pontius Pilate, It's actually in the creed to remind us that these actually happened to a real human person. One of the other heresies that really hit the church for the first couple of centuries was by uh, a man by the name of Arius. And he was a bishop, an elder, a pastor at a church in Alexandria. And it was known as Arianism. And it denied because of Arius' belief and a true belief that Romans had many gods. They worshipped pantheistically. There were many gods, or or, um, I should say, 
um, polytheism. There were as many gods and there were as many different gods that they were worshiping. And he reacted to that. And in reacting to that, he began to say, well, we can't have Jesus as God because then that would make two gods. And so there was a lot of debate. And Athanasius, which was a younger elder in the church of Alexandria, um, debated him and put out writings against Arianism. Ultimately, there was a council at the Council of Nicaea. And from that council came the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, there is this declaration that Jesus is very God of very God. And that creed was added to at other councils, but it was to protect what the scriptures teach about the personhood of God. I wanted you to notice, I hope you got a handout, that our church, East Brandywine Baptist Church, has not adopted a creed. Those are wonderful. Or a confession. Those are great too. But we have adopted a a doctrinal statement. So we've taken about 10 doctrines, major foundational doctrines, and we have laid them out, and here's what we believe. And you'll notice here under Christology, this is what our bylaws say, our constitution, our doctrinal statement. We believe in the absolute deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He, born miraculously of Mary while she was still a virgin, was fully God and fully man. Would you say that with me? If you do indeed believe this, let's say this together. We believe in the absolute deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He, born miraculously of Mary while she was still a virgin, was fully God and fully man. I want to take these three clauses briefly, and I want us to see what John is teaching us about the Word. Now, here's what I want you to participate with. Many of you are very familiar with this passage. Perhaps you've got it memorized, or much of this prologue, verses 1 to 18, memorized. But what I want us to focus on is this passage that describes the Word. Now, most of you know who the Word is, but I want you, just for purposes of interest and engagement, to act as though you don't, okay? I found that the first service really struggled with this little game I would like for you to play. So please don't act like you know, let the suspense carry us because this kind of sermon is not going to have the typical three or four application points at the end. Those are always wonderful, yes? Um, But instead of giving you three or four steps, really the application of this sermon is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ more intelligently, more biblically, and we want to break this verse apart. You'll notice that I've done something I don't generally do. I've taken the Greek of this verse, and I've transliterated it for you so that it's in English, and you can see it underneath the English translation. I think it's going to be key for us to understand this passage. So first of all, let's look at the first phrase. In the beginning was the word. When you hear that phrase, in the beginning, word association, what do you think of? Okay, come on, better than that. What? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, and what do you expect for to be the next word? In the beginning, God, okay? Because we remember that in the first verse of Genesis, this is exactly the wording. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, this is the exact two words, in arche. But instead of saying, in the beginning, God, it says, in the beginning, what does it say? Was the word. 
Now, before we talk about who the word is, we want to keep that suspense. We want to just simply say, what is this passage saying? It's saying, in the arche, in the beginning, the word existed. Now, a little later on, you'll notice in verse number three, it says, or in verse number four, it says, in him was life. And verse three says, all things were made through him. So we know immediately that this word is referenced to a him. That's the pronoun that's used for that antecedent of the word. But before we talk about who the word is, let's just soak this in. It says that the word existed in the beginning. Now, what are we referencing in the beginning? Well, in Genesis 1-1, we're talking about in the beginning, what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. If you'll look at verse 3, it helps us here because we know now what he's talking about. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning is referencing creation. So what he's saying is, in the beginning, before anything was spoken into existence, the word what? Existed. Okay? So here's our point for those of you taking notes. The word is eternal. So what he's saying here is that the logos, the word, was eternal. So you'll see it there in the transliteration. In the beginning was the word, in arche, and then we have the verb, ain ha logos. Now, I want you to circle, if you would, under all three points, that little word, ain. It has the long-sounding marktation over the top of it. That is the verb there, and there are two types of being verbs in your Greek New Testament. Again, we're not going to get too heady, but I think this is important for us, for us to understand what John is doing here. One of those forms of linking verbs that connect with a predicate are the I-me verbs. And those are the form here that you see, ain. And then there are the, the genomai verb that has the idea of a point of origin, and what John is really careful to do in this passage is if you were to look at a, a, a interlinear or you were to look at one of these Bibles that have the Greek and the English above and below, you would notice that he uses the word genomai to refer to, in verse 3, creation being made. But whenever he's speaking about the word, whoever the word is, he has no point of origin. So he uses a word and he uses a tense that says that as far back as you could go in Arche, in the beginning, you must push back the Logos was there. So the point he's making in this first clause is that the word, the eternal word, never had a beginning. So here's the simple phrase, the simple clause, the simple point, the word is eternal. Can you say that with me? The word is eternal. Don't get ahead of us. We're still just reading this. We'll act like it the first time. And we're reading that the word, whoever the word is, and it has a pronoun him in verse 3 and verse 4 and, and later on even in this prologue. So we know that it is a him and he is eternal. I want you to see the second clause now. The second clause says, and the word was with God. Now here's a possibility. Let's imagine that this was a Jewish audience reading the book of John. Have you ever noticed, as I mentioned earlier, that we see the book of John as shallow enough for children to wade out in and deep enough for elephants to swim in? Have you ever had a new convert that you were in a conversation with? Perhaps you were having the opportunity to disciple them. 
this is often the book that we will reference to them, right? We'll say, why don't you start reading the book of John? Because we understand that it's so clear. Yet in this clause, he's saying that the word is eternal. And if a Jewish reader was reading this, or even a new convert, maybe they would have this reaction. Perhaps word, or logos, is another name for God. Maybe like a synonym. I mean, think about this. As you read your Bible, there are a lot of synonyms for the name God, yes? We call him Father, we call him King, we call him Lord. Then there are all those um, words or names for God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh. We have Yahweh, we have his name, his, his name of identity. Maybe this is just another synonym for God. So perhaps you could read this after the first clause and you're thinking, okay, I'm tracking with you, John. In the beginning, eternally, before anything was made, anything was spoken into place, the word was there. And maybe the word is another name for God, God the Father, the one God. So maybe this is one of those many synonyms that he is using for God. Because after all, we believe that there's only one that's eternal. Who is that? But John is going to correct us here with the second clause because the second clause says that and the word, the logos, whoever this is, a member class, you're supposed to be playing along. Whoever the word is, he's with God. And I want you to look at verse number two. He clarifies this in another statement. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. Now I want you to notice the second point here. The word has been eternally and distinctively with God. You notice what John is doing here. He, he said that the word is eternal, but lest you think he's talking about a synonym, giving God the Father another name, oh no. He's saying the Logos was with God from the beginning. So all of a sudden, in this one little clause, the Apostle John is saying there's a distinctiveness between the Logos who is eternal and God who is eternal. And it's all connected with the little preposition, and you'll see it here, transliterated pros. You see that? Now, prepositions are important, yes? They tell us something's under or over, and here he says that he was with God from the beginning. Some have translated this little preposition as accompaniment or side-by-sidement or in the face of or face-to-face. -face. Here's what's being communicated in this little clause. That the logos, the word, whoever that is, is not only eternal, but he has been face-to-face -face with God from the beginning. You see how he's progressing us in our Christology here? So lest we make a mistake and think that the word is just a synonym, another name for God, the eternal God, oh no. This logos is distinctively separate in his person and he has been with God from eternity. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so we have two clauses so far. In the first clause, the word is eternal. In the beginning was the Second clause, and the word was with God. So the word has been eternally and distinctively with God. So when you hear the words in the beginning, and you're trying to, to conceive of exactly what is being described here, verse number three helps us 
And again, I'm referencing verse 3 rather than exegeting it, but verse 3 says all things were made through him. We could say the word here because that's the pronoun he's referring to. Yes? Everybody tracking with me? So he says all things were made through the word and without the word was not anything made that was made. So what he's describing in that second clause is that this word is separate from God. He has been with God. He's been in communion with God for all eternity. So he differentiates the word and God. How many are seeing a blue screen right now? I hope not. Okay, so let's just review. Act like, again, that you don't know who the word is. But the first thing he says out of the get-go, since the beginning... Who's been here? The Word, okay? So the Word is eternal. Secondly, he says, the Word has been eternally but distinctively with God. Third, the Word has been eternally God. Now he gives us a third clause here. And here's the third clause. And the Word was God. Now if if you are reading this, as we all are, monotheistic, and you have recited, perhaps you're a Jewish believer or a Jewish seeker, and you're reading the Gospel of John, and you have recited the Shema, you've recited, there is one Lord, our God is one Lord, and now you are hearing the apostle in his Gospel say that the Logos, the Word, is eternal, and this eternal word is actually distinctive. He's different. He's not the same person as God. And then you think you're shocked and awed. And then he says, the word was God. What is he saying here? He's saying the word has been eternally God. Now, I want you to notice that this phrase is a phrase that if you are on the visiting uh, path of Jehovah's Witnesses that this is a verse they will often take you to. When we were in New Hampshire, we had, we seemed to be on the route. Every Saturday morning, it seemed right after breakfast, they were ringing our doorbell. And this is a text that they will often refer to. In fact, their New World Translation has a, a difference in its wording here. It says, and the word was a God. So what they're saying is that there's only one God, Jehovah, it's Arianism, repackaged. There's only one God, and Jesus cannot be God. So he is a God. Now, with that understanding, I want to just look at the text. I've got that there for you. I've got the transliteration under it. And the word was, I, was God. What exactly is he saying? You'll notice that different than the second clause, there's no article Articles, we talk about the or a. Uh. There's no article in front of theos. That's the word for God. Do you notice that? Verse 1c, if you go up to verse 1b, you'll notice that there is, a, there is an article before theon, an article before God, but there's not here. One of the things the Greek language does is it will take often and put an article in front of something to tell you this is the subject of the sentence. And here in this clause... If there were an article in front of Theos, like Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you should be there, and it's not there, so that means a God. By having an article, you'll notice ha in front of Lagos. Do you see the article there? Stay with me. I don't want to lose you. This is rich and wealthy and worth your weight if you'll stay with me. But 
because there is an article in front of the word and not an article in front of theos, what John is doing by moving theos earlier in this clause is he's saying that the word is God. If he had had two articles, what happens in the Greek is it would have had an equal signs. It would have said the word is everything the God and the God is everything the word and it would have placed it into not three persons as we understand trinitarily or, or the trinity, it would, have, it would have combined them. There would have been no differentiation. But because there's no article, here's what John is saying. He's saying, not identifying who the word is, he's identifying what the word is. And he's saying, the word is God. So instead of using God in terms of his particular name, the God, the only God, he's saying that he shares the very stuff, if I can say it this way, of Godness. So the word, whoever the word is, shares all the Godness that God has. You with me? We need our scuba diving gear for just a moment. Let's review. Again, act like you don't know who the word is. We'll save that for the grand climax. The word we see in the first clause, in the beginning was the word. The word is what? Eternal. Never had a beginning. The word has been eternally and distinctively with who? With God. He's separate from God. He's a separate person from God. But he has all the essential godness. So the word has been eternally what? God. Now when you put all three of these together, you should be asking the question now, if you participated, some of you didn't, I could tell, but if you participated, you should be going, okay, so we've got a word, he's called the word, the logos, who is eternal, he's distinctive from God, he's not the same as God, the one God, the Father, but he's also the same in his godness. He's equal in his godness. So who is the logos? Who's the word? That's what you should be asking right now. You should be going, I'm tired of waiting. Tell me. I'm glad you asked. I want you to look at verse 14. And the word, here it is, became what? Flesh. And he dwelt among us and we have seen his what? Glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Folks, think about this for a moment. What if the word, the logos, who's eternal, he's distinct from the Father, but equal in his godness. If he's distinct in his personhood, but he's essential in his nature as all of the godness that the Father has, he has as well. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. What if the word actually had a birthday and took on a body? The eternal one, what if he became a human? What if this word became one of us? What if this word looked like us? What if this eternal word got hungry like us and got tired like us and died like us? What would that mean if the eternal word who has been forever of old Ancient of days, according to Micah 5, 2, he was from of old. In John 3, there was one who came who said, he that comes down from heaven, who is this word? 
I'll give you the final answer. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So here the mystery is answered. The suspense is over. Spoiler alert. The word is Jesus. The word is the eternal son of God who never had a beginning or origin. He had an incarnation. You see, the Bible doesn't argue for the doctrine of Christ's preexistence. It assumes it. Jesus talks about his coming down from heaven. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, he talks about the glory that he remembers and he can't wait to have it again, the glory before the foundation of the world. He can't wait for his people to see that glory. Remember when he was talking to the religious leaders and they were talking about their pedigree? We're sons of Abraham. And what did he say? Before Abraham was, I am. They were ready to stone him at that point. Because, because the word has become flesh and the rest of John is all about how the eternal word became flesh. And for 33 and a half years, he lived the life that we haven't lived. He always did the will of the Father. And then he died on the cross as our substitute, as the Lamb of God, which John the Baptist, who's mentioned in this prologue that Bill read, and he says, there's the Lamb of God which takes away the what? The sin of the world. Now, folks, this has been a Christology message, and it has been doctrinal, and the goal, again, is to appreciate and worship and love the Lord Jesus. But I want to warn you that your orthodox can be sound, and yet you could still not be a child of God. I want you to see one other verse, and it's found here in verse number 12 in this prologue. But to all who did receive him, and he clarifies that, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? But of God. So here's the question for everybody in attendance today. You could walk out of here and say, I've got my Christology all nice and neat now. I'm sound, I'm orthodox, but you could be unsaved. You could leave with head knowledge about Christology an understanding about what John was doing in these three clauses in verse 1. But a child of hell, how can that happen? You must exercise your own faith, your own trust in this good news. And so the question for all of us in this room today is, have you received him? Have you received the word? Have you believed in him? Often on Sunday evenings, Things go through my mind, and I struggle. So mostly what I struggle with is I'll re-preach the message in my head, and I'll think about things I shouldn't have said or things I did say or, or I should have said that I didn't say, and it's, it's quite torturous. But that's not the biggest torture, and I'm, I'm not saying this for, for effect. The struggle I have is, is I know that on any given Sunday, there are people who attend here who have never been born again. And they entered that way and they leave that way. And there's nothing humanly, this passage says, it's not by the will of man, that I can do about it. I can only proclaim this good news that you must, every individual in this corporate body, 
Every one of you must individually receive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I beg you today to consider these things and ask yourself, do I have orthodox Christology, but I've never received Christ as my Savior and Lord? Today, I encourage you, when I close this in prayer, yield your heart to Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. And you know what? You will become. He will give you the right to be a what? A child of God. So our wonderful word, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's eternal. He's been eternally and distinctively with God. And the word has been eternally God. And all God's people said, yeah, let's pray. Oh, Lord, let us love and sing and wonder. Lord, we ask that you would take the truths of our Christ, the Word, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who had no beginning, will have no end, the same yesterday, today, and forever. May you cause us, as we meditate on these amazing, jaw-dropping truths, to stir our hearts Lord, I'm aware that there are those today whose hearts haven't been stirred, and it's not because my message wasn't good enough. It's because their hearts are still closed. We ask that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that they would see the glorious Christ. And we ask as believers that you would open up our eyes to more love, to more worship, to more live for our Christ. We praise you for these truths. And we ask now as we celebrate this memorial, this ordinance that you, Lord Jesus, have given your church, that we would do it in spirit and in truth and in unity and repentance. May we rejoice in the gospel and be done with sin. Lord, may we turn from those things, those sins that so easily beset us. May this be a time of spiritual cleansing for your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing as...